We are going to continue in the book of Luke, okay, like we've been in since uh, uh, October, I think, of 2016. But we're so close to the end, and it's such a great subject, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're looking at it uh, relative to the resurrection of our bodies as well, because what we see Christ uh, doing in his resurrection body uh, it's the same way. We shall be like him, and so it's going to be like what we're going to be able to do in resurrection body. So it's a good thing. To, it's a good thing for us to continue with now. Uh, since last time, I think I was on twenty third Psalm when all of this was beginning. The situation that we're living in right now, shifting back to Luke twenty four. So let me just uh, give the brief uh, review. Not, not all the way back to the beginning of Luke 24, but we were, we were with Christ and the two on the road to Emmaus. And, okay, so my Bible's, my, my laptop with the Bible is over here, so I'll keep looking over here. And then my PowerPoint that I had ready for today is over here, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking over here, and there are thousands of people over here in my, in my living room. Um, the, uh, to get right to the right uh, verse. I think it starts down in around verse 13, but I want to go a little beyond that when Christ just appeared. So the powers of locomotion in the resurrection body uh, are different from what they are now. You can just, the power will be such that you leave a place by disappearing or vanishing and then reappear, obviously, apparently, wherever you want to reappear. Uh, in this case, Christ has appeared with uh, Cleopas and his companion on the road to Jerusalem, uh, and he listens to their sorrowful story about what has happened in Jerusalem, and and they explain to him that uh, all of their hope was in the one that was crucified, and they're just going to go home. There was a report by some women that he was alive, but but they're going to go home. Well, anyway, this story goes on. You will recall, I'm sure. Uh, this story goes on to where on this road, and they were about eight miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So they were walking away from, from Jerusalem and the meeting of the disciples that they had been at and this eight-mile trip. And now the sun is setting. It's getting near the end of the day. And so they have a place they're going to go in and stay. And Jesus continues on and they say, oh, no, come in with us and stay with us. It was during that time, uh, along in that Christ opened the scriptures and he taught them because it, it was, the question had been asked, isn't it necessary for the Christ to have died? Um, and the whole thing of, not the whole thing, but a major point of Jesus' ministry was to correct the error of Judaism regarding the first coming of the Christ. The Christ had something to do uh, relative to saving his people, that is, paying the price for the covenant. The, the, blood, the blood had to be cut, and that was him on the cross. And thus, with his own blood and his own life, he would pay the price for our redemption and our deliverance. Uh, and all of that was about the first coming, and it's prophesied. And we started this whole subsection in Luke, if you'll recall, in Isaiah 53. 
And it was one of the, it is one of the major prophecies about the first coming of Christ and the, the suffering of Christ. So this was necessary. What, where would we be if Christ hadn't offered himself uh, for us? He asked the question of Peter who was trying to, who was trying to rush him on past the, uh, the, the, the cross. Oh, no, Lord, we'll never let you die. And Jesus said, well, what does that gain a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know, they were wanting to be the first and second in authority in the kingdom with Jesus. But they had to be paid for. I mean, you know, Jesus had to purchase their redemption because they can only live if he didn't do that. They, they, they might have great power and authority in the kingdom, but then they'd die. And at death, they would have had no one to pay the price for the penalty of sin that we all suffer under. So it's necessary. He said that more than once. It, it, it's necessary. for the, Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer? So then he serves them bread at that evening gathering. And their eyes were opened and they recognized that it was Jesus. Then he vanished. The Bible says he just disappeared. He vanished from uh, from their eyes. Now that's going to bring us, uh, let me see, I think to verse 36. We're going to start in verse 36 here. Um, and I want to pick up because this is part two about the resurrection body. The resurrection of the body. I mean, this is, man, this is it. This is the pinnacle of the whole thing. This is where we're headed. Uh, this, this, is, this is the glorious uh, goal uh, for all of the saints of God finally to be resurrected. Even the saints who are in heaven are in a disembodied state. They are clothed upon in some way, according to the revelation, but they're not in their resurrection bodies. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, when Jesus comes for his church, this is the rapture of the church, he will bring them with him and the dead in Christ will rise first and and those of us who are alive and remain on the earth will not precede them. So they'll be resurrected and joined to their resurrection bodies first and then in a, in a twinkling, I guess, of an eye, uh, then we're raptured and we, the old body drops and we're, we're raptured into a glorified uh, body. That's a, how the rapture is affected on us is another sermon. I won't get into that right now. I'm talking about the resurrection body. This is when we all, all who are in the first resurrection within the church are caught up to be with Christ and then we are in the resurrection body. This is the kind of body that we have. And uh, these, are, these are some of the things that the body, that we should recognize about that body. So we're in Luke 24 and I'm, I'm in verse uh, 36 and, and following here. Now, as they were telling these things of them, he himself stood in their midst. Now, let me, let me back up to verse uh, 35. Uh, these, were the, these were the disciples and Cleopas, they had come back and said, man, we saw the Lord. They said, well, Peter saw the Lord. So they're, they're, they're pondering over what's been happening so that back to verse 36. Now, they, they, as they were telling these, these things of them, or, or these, their things, their reports, 
he himself, Atos, he himself stood in their midst. Okay, so he's disappeared from one place. Now in another place, pop, there he is. So it's a, a tremendous power of locomotion uh, to be able uh, for him to, to, for the resurrection body to have this ability. So this is like what we're going to have. Then he spoke. We know he's already. We know, we already know he's been speaking, and we know that he could exchange ideas with people. That's what he did with Cleopas and his companion. So they had their own individual thoughts, uh, and he said to them, "Peace to you." So there's there's emotion here. The resurrection body and the resurrection body. We have emotion, and. Uh, we, we, want, we, want, uh, we want peace and comfort to, to prevail, of course. But having been terrified, that is, these who are in the room there, and having been filled with fear, they thought they saw a spirit. They saw something. It was there. Couldn't deny that it was there. But it just appeared, and they thought they saw a spirit. It's interesting to me that way back here in 35 A.D. or whatever, um, they're having experiences that uh, that science fiction writers write about today. I mean, they they had in their minds that uh, that it was possible to see a spirit, and they thought they saw a spirit, saw something. It just appeared. Well, that's Jesus in the resurrection body. So the resurrection body dematerialized from somewhere. And rematerialized into the presence of the disciples who were gathered in that room. And he said to them, now he's going to have an exchange of ideas and even going to ask a question. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts come up through you into your hearts? See my hands and my feet that I am he. So he, at this point, is bearing marks that he had received in his body. Now, is this, is this by choice or I don't know. I, I don't know, but he, he at least at this point has the ability to show them something that happened to his body, even in his resurrection body. So he says, look, here are my hands and my feet that I am he. Now, let me say this. This is apparently how Cleopas and his companion uh, recognized Jesus when he served bread. He'd have to reach out his hands and they could have saw, if, if these see it, they could have saw the, the marks in his hands. Uh, and remember when he was seen by the woman outside the tomb, after he spoke to her, she wasn't expecting him, but then when he spoke to her, she recognized him. So he's recognizable, uh, and now he's he has he's solid. He's not a spirit. He says, "Touch me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see me having." Okay, a resurrection body has flesh and bones, but in a glorified state. Uh, they are that this part of the body is empowered uh, to act and react 
in a way that's impossible for us presently. So, so this is a glorified body uh, raised into a glorified state. And for you and me, that glorified state would mean that we dropped all the bad stuff in the grave. Everything that we drag around in our lives, all of that is dropped in the grave uh, and it's put away. It has to die. It, it's put away. But he, he invites them to touch him and to see him for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me having. And having said this, he showed to him the hands and the feet. So in the resurrection body, they're, they're gathering close to him. They can reach out and touch him. Uh, so not only do we exchange, I mean, we're, we are who we are. Only, only having dropped for us, Christ never had it, but only for us we have dropped the sinful nature. Um, so he showed to them the hands and, and the feet. Still, while they were in their disbelief, for the joy and the amazement, it's, it's, it's sort of like that song, I can only imagine. These guys, in their disbelief, in their joy, in their amazement, uh, that's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I, that's probably a, uh, an appropriate reaction. Those, those who saw the glorious Christ in Theophanies in the Old Testament, that is the pre-incarnate Old Testament appearance of Christ, they fell like dead men. Uh, John the Revelator fell like a dead man uh, even, after, even after. By the way, speaking of the Revelation, I will, I will continue tonight at 6 o'clock in the Revelation, and I'm going to continue that series in the Revelation on Wednesdays as well at 6 o'clock until the all clear is given. Okay, we'll go as far as we can in the Revelation. So, he said to them, have you anything to eat here? Now, this doesn't mean that he got hungry in his resurrected state, but it does mean that there's an illustration here for the disciples to show that in a lot of ways, he's just not that different than he was before, and he has the capability of fellowshipping at a meal. And they gave to him part of a broiled fish. Now, that's funny to me. Let me tell you something. If the resurrected Christ stood in my presence and asked me if I had anything to eat, I wouldn't break off my piece of fish and give it to him. I'd, I'd empty the oven and give him the whole thing. Um, but I guess they didn't know what to do, so they just gave him part of a broiled fish. Having taken it, he ate it before them. He ate it right there in front of, <laughs> right there in front of them. He ate it. So the resurrection body has the capability of eating and fellowshipping with people in this sense. Uh, and it has the ability to appear, disappear, reappear. Walk, it goes through walls. Walls are nothing. Distance is nothing. Um, to the resurrected body. It's, uh, it has unique and wonderful powers that God will empower the resurrection body with at that time. And, and we still don't know, only until we experience it, we still don't know uh, all of the wonders 
of the resurrection, the first resurrection. Now that begs the question, what about those in the second resurrection, the last, re the, the, the resurrection unto damnation? Well, okay. They are resurrected in a body that is outfitted to die forever, to forever be in the state of death, always dying for eternity, eternally dying. Jesus said there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He called it the outer darkness, which means there's blindness. Nobody can see in that place, apparently, when finally thrown in. Hades, now the experience of Hades, which is the compartment that many people call hell, where the, where the wicked dead go when they die, the abode of the wicked dead, Hades, will finally, at the great white throne, spew out all of the dead that's in it. And that's when there's a second resurrection. And it's an awful resurrection. It's a terrible resurrection. It's a resurrection unto damnation. So now, in this horrible, wicked body that is made, that is raised for suffering the chewing of worms, maggots, for suffering the pain of fire, for suffering the separation from God and outer darkness where there is no light and there is no sight and no one can see, just screaming and weeping and wailing and being chewed on by some kind of eternal <laughs> maggot where the fire is not quenched, the worm never dies, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's a terrible thing. Who in the world would want to take the chance of, of being, being a part of the second resurrection. You just come to Christ. You have faith in Christ. If there's one reason to be saved, it is so that you won't be lost, uh, so that the promises of Christ will be yours uh, regarding his eternal life, the eternal life that he gives, and a resurrection body that is wonderful and outfitted for blessing and happiness and wonderment into the ages of the ages of the ages. I submit to you that we will always be thinking and studying and we will always be in pursuit of things and it will be an exciting life that will never die. Never die. God is infinite. Uh, and one of the things we may do is pursue a knowledge of who God is forever and ever into the ages of the ages. Uh, and that, the, the Greek phrase that is translated into the ages of the ages also tells us that even in what we call eternity, in the new heaven and new earth, there are different ages. doesn't say much about it. It just points to the fact that we have some kind of challenge or glory that uh, in that challenge of glory, we, as, as the elect of God in, in His eternity, we, we find this wonderful achievement and we can grow as who we are and then he introduces us to another age and this goes on forever. Forever and ever and ever. And that's the glory of the first resurrection and we've seen some. Man, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have these bodies that 
We won't need Scotty to beam us up. We can beam ourselves anywhere we want to beam ourselves. Um, and we can pass through solid objects um, and move at, at a speed unknown, maybe perhaps beyond the speed of light. I, I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, we, we, we still will have these bodies that we can enjoy and fellowship with one another forever. We can express, obviously, we can express our joy and our love ask questions do do whatever um within that within that uh, parameter of resurrection first resurrection okay so let me close like this what happens I, you know, two questions i get a lot number one is what about when we die what happens now, that's a valid question the other question is is jesus about to come back you know a lot of people ask that question but regarding the first question, to put a whole lot of verses together in the Bible, we, uh, we reach the end of physical life. And that, that's a day that God has set for us and there's nothing we can do to change it. Every life in the Lord is fulfilled regardless of where you, whether you die at the age of 19 or 99 or older or younger in the Lord, that life is fulfilled in the Lord. That's the way he purposed it. It had its purpose. You can't argue with that. So when that life is fulfilled, there are apparently angels who lift our spirits up and out and carry us into the presence of Christ. When Stephen the godly deacon died, Christ was seen standing up and apparently ready to embrace his saint who came in. So from there, then, then Hebrews 12 kicks in where we have this wonderful tour of the eternal city and, uh, and, and, and have this brief explanation or or. or or learning or lesson or whatever that's given to us. And according to Matthew, apparently there is a committee of people who we would know the best and who would know us, parents, brothers, sisters, saints of God that we were close to in the previous life, grandparents, whatever, people that would be the ones we would expect after seeing Christ that we would expect to see first. And so we're welcomed into our eternal habitation, outfitted somehow for the immediate intermediate state. And what happens between then and now, we, we probably have all kinds of people that we want to see and things we want to do. But then we also are anxious, I think, up there as anxious for Christ to return as the people on planet earth are because we want to get into that resurrection body and do things that we haven't been able to do. And that's what happens then. The next thing is the first resurrection. Then in, in my theology, after that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it, but you're, you get weaponized and get a horse because you're going to come back with Christ who is angry. Uh, and put down the final Gentile power, and uh, we'll all be wanting to shoot whatever it is. Maybe he weaponizes our harps. I don't know. 
uh, a deadly harp. Um, but we don't get to fire a shot because just the appearance of Christ defeats the multitudes of soldiers at Armageddon. And uh, the body says that their eyes, the vitreous fluid of their eyes melt and falls out of their eye sockets. Their flesh melts, falls down, and all of it forms a river of blood that's as high as a, as a horse's bridle. And then according to Daniel, Christ will take some time and establish his administration in the new kingdom on planet earth. Uh, and then there will be the thousand year reign according to John in the Revelation. At the end of the thousand year reign, there's a brief uprising after Satan is released for a little season. And then comes the double whammy when all the things are put down Everything is dissolved. The great white throne is set up with Christ seated on that throne. And from the presence of the great white throne, everything melts. It blows up. From his presence, earth and heaven flee. So there's a great white throne and judgment. And the wicked are judged, those whose names are not in the book of life, and they're cast into the lake of fire. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth. What a glorious experience to watch the Lord Make a new universe. Man, that'll answer everybody's questions uh, if he wants to answer our questions. So, you know, that's pretty much an overview of what dies, what, what happens after you die, according to a whole bunch of the Bible put together. Uh, and is the Lord about to come back? That's, that's something we can be discussing when we get into the Revelation. Okay, so tonight, tonight it's the Revelation. Uh, I think we got to verse 4 in chapter 1. Uh, the Revelation, um, it's at 6 o'clock. And also Wednesdays at 6 o'clock as well. That'll be our regular times of, of evening gathering and, and Wednesday night study as well. Okay, so all things are still the same here at the, at the Owens Manor. Um, we're, just, uh, we're just waiting for the all clear, aren't we? Let's pray. Father, how we love you and how we love your care for us, how we love your word and how that the promises of our Lord Christ, our Savior, have tempered the crises of this life and how we can rest so peacefully in your arms, feeling the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. So God, I just pray your blessings upon all of Shiloh, and those around us whom we love so much. I pray your blessings on our nation. God, strengthen us in these last days, what surely must be the last days. And I pray that you'll divinely guide all of our leaders at every level and that your purpose, we shall see and understand that your purpose and will are perfectly being worked out just like you said it would. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.